Welcome to the Highway Church Podcast. We're excited for you to join us today. To find out more about us, visit highway.com.au. And I want to do a message today that I call uh, the pressure test. Everyone say pressure test. And when I think of a pressure test, I'm not kind of thinking of something good. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm not kind of praying and saying, God, I just really need like a testing season. You know, I want a pressure test. But actually a pressure test is not a negative thing. Great to see everyone online as well. Uh, But you know, a a pressure test, when they extract oil from the depths of the ocean, an expensive commodity that really helps the world run, what they do is before they turn on the pipes in a sense to extract the oil, they will first do a thing called a pressure test where they ram mass amounts of pressure through these pipes to see if there's any dysfunctions or weak spots. And the cool thing is when they find weak spots, because the pipes are expensive, their their first thought is to not discard and throw away the pipes. But when a weak spot is revealed, they send experts who go down and strengthen the weak spots within the pipe so that the pipes can still be used for the purpose that they were made to be used for. See, sometimes God the Father allows us as His children to go through some pressurised situations so that it will simply reveal some weak spots within us but not so that He can discard the vessel that we are, but so that He can send the expert of the Holy Spirit to heal and mend and strengthen the weak spots in our life so we can do the thing that we were put on the planet to do. You know, I remember a young lady I preached in New Zealand. I'm not sure if I shared this story last time, but but she had tried to end her life, I think, 10 times from the age of about 12 to 22. She was in a psychiatric ward. She just tried to end her life and was incredibly close to succeeding. She was diagnosed with every uh, mental illness that you could almost possibly imagine. I was preaching in New Zealand at a great church and I uh, kind of am known for praying for breakthrough for people. And, and so some of her good friends, they went and got permission to bring her out of the psychiatric ward just for the night to hear me preach. And then they promised that they would take her back. And I did an altar call at the end for breakthrough and a couple hundred people were at the front believing for breakthrough. But this one young lady just stood out. I I didn't know, actually I'd met her many years before as a youth camp, but but she just stood out. It was like she was illuminated and, and I went to the stage where I grabbed her hand like this. She was a couple rows back at the altar and and I started to prophesy and pray. She began to weep and one of the things that, she'd been diagnosed with was, uh, you know, she, she couldn't sleep and she'd be awake all night, which was contributing to a lot of the mental illness. And I didn't know any of this, but as I held her hand, I said, I don't know what's going on in your life. I didn't know she just attempted suicide. I don't know what's going on in your life, but get ready because what God is about to do, that you are going to have the best sleep that you've had in more than a decade. And the power of God came upon her and she hit the floor and just began to weep in God's presence. She went back to the psychiatric ward, completely healed of every diagnosis that had been spoken over her life. So much so that when she got back, they tried to diagnose her with personality disorder because they said, you can't be the girl that we've had for the last week and now everything seems normal. That girl since then 
She's made a movie about her life. She directed a movie about her friend that took her life. She's written a book. She's spoken to the UN in New York City about mental health. I want to tell you that no matter how far you feel that you're gone, Jesus is always the answer. No matter how much you're struggling, you might feel that you're in a pit, in a massive pressure test, but He can pull you out of it. And I want to talk about a man in the Bible who had his own pressure test. In a sense, he had his own mental health issues. His name was Elijah. His journey starts where he prophesies to an evil king that it's not going to rain for a period of time. And he then goes to this place called Zarephath where he drinks from the brook and the birds feed him from the sky. Then he's called, sorry, that was Kirith Ravine, that place. Then he was called to Zarephath where a widow provided oil and flour that never ran dry. While he was there, this young widow's boy ends up dying and Elijah grabs him and brings him back to life. The pinnacle of Elijah's ministry happens on Mount Carmel where the whole nation had turned away from God. And he stands before the evil bow prophets who served Jezebel, the wicked queen's beck and call. And he stood before them and he says, you call fire down, I'll call fire down. And whoever's God answers by fire, that's the real God. Elijah calls down fire and the offering is consumed in a moment, fire from heaven. He then grabs a sword and he kills the 450 bell prophets and the whole nation turns back to God. Who knows that national revival can still happen? Who knows that there could be a move of God so strong that a whole nation gives their life back to Jesus? And so national revival happens. It's the peak of his ministry. But then one word from evil Jezebel that says, by this time tomorrow you'll be dead, sends him into a spin. He ends up depressed, suicidal, burnt out. He's under a tree saying, just kill me, I can't do it anymore. He then ends up in a cave, which to me speaks of escapism. Because so often when we have extreme pressure as humans, we look for dark places where we can escape. And he ends up in this cave and God answers, comes with the fire, but God wasn't in it, the earthquake, the wind that God wasn't in, and then the still small voice of God brought him out of the cave. And I want to just give you a few things that I believe Elijah kind of missed. Things that will help us get through pressure. Uh, The first one is this, you've got to understand it's God's voice or God's word that sustains you. See, think about how Elijah's life began. He started off in in intimacy. He he heard the whisper of heaven, it's not gonna rain. He heard it because he was close, he was intimate and he then declared that word. He then hears the voice again because he's close, he's intimate, he's connected. He's been sustained by who God was. And he hears again go to Kirith Ravine and there he drinks from what? The brook and the food that comes from the sky. A picture of the Holy Spirit is the brook. He was drinking of the Holy Spirit and he was eating the food that came from above. God then says, go to Zarephath and a widow will provide for you. Just as a side note, I feel like someone needs to hear this. More often than not, your provision that you're believing for is where God's asked you to go, not where you are right now. See, what we want is God, give me the provision and then I'll go. God says, no, 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 start going and the provision's waiting for you on the other side of your step of obedience. And he goes to Zarephath 
And again, it's a picture of closeness because what does he do there? He partakes of the oil and the bread. Again, a picture of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And so this whole thing is a picture. And you can check out the Scriptures later, 1 Kings 17, 2 to 9. But, but it's this picture of him, of this intimate, this man that was intimate. He was connected. He was being sustained. He was living on every word that came from heaven. He was hungry for the Holy Spirit. In other words, he was living out of the overflow, which is how we're designed to live. See, what I mean by that is when you enter a pressure test, the way that God really wants it to happen is that the Word is already in you before you even need it. When you go to the doctors and you get a negative diagnosis, it doesn't mean it's not a challenge. It doesn't mean it's not hard. But it works so much better when the Word of God is already in you that you already know that He's a healer. You already know that He's in control. You already know that nothing is too hard for Him. Now, now see, the reality is if you ever end up in a season where the Word is not in you, then the answer is to still put the Word in you. It just works way better if it's already in you before you actually need it. It's living a life out of the overflow that I'm giving out of what I'm already putting on the inside of me. And it's that whole intimacy that leads him to this pinnacle where he literally stands on a mountain and brings fire from heaven. He kills the demonic and the whole nation turns back to God. But then this moment in 1 Kings 19, 1-4, the guys will put it up, but I'm just gonna paraphrase just for time's sake. But this is the moment where Jezebel speaks and she says, by this time tomorrow, you'll be dead. The Bible said he was afraid. And he runs, he ends up under a tree suicidal. I wonder if you can relate where one message for you changed everything. Maybe it was a message from a partner who's now an ex-partner. Maybe it was a message from a doctor where you sat in a doctor's office and you received a message that changed everything. Maybe it was a boss that sent a message saying you're no longer required at this workplace. Maybe it was a message of betrayal from a best friend or a business partner. And I'm sure we can all relate to how one message can change everything. But see, this is the first moment in the text where we see Elijah listening to the wrong voice. Everywhere else, he's listened to the right voice. There was intimacy and closeness and he kept appearing in the right place. But this is the first time he listens to the wrong voice and now he ends up in the wrong place. See, if you listen to the wrong voice, you will end up in the wrong place. That, that speaks for mental health. It speaks for everything. It speaks for physically. If you listen to the wrong voice, you'll end up in the wrong place. The angels come in verse five to seven. And again, in my own words, you could check it out for yourself. That They have to feed him twice because they basically say, Elijah, you've got nothing left. Well, what does that mean? You've ran out of gas. You're burnt out. You've got nothing left to give. And then he ends up, see, I believe he had stopped living out of the overflow. I believe he had stopped living out of that place of hearing from heaven, of drinking the brook, of being hungry for the oil. And now he has run out, he's depleted and he ends up in a cave. I'll speak about that in a moment, escaping the pain. But then God speaks to him again in my own words. You can check it out. It's in uh, 
verses 11 to 13 in Kings, 1 Kings 9. But God basically says to him, I'm about to speak to you. But then remember the fire comes and it says God, not in the fire, the, 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 the wind comes and God wasn't in the wind and then the earthquake comes, God wasn't in the earthquake and then the still small voice of God. And when he heard the still small voice of God, he put his cloak over his head because he was so humbled by the voice that he probably hadn't heard in a long time and he came out of the cave. But it's the equivalent of me saying, Pastor Byron, I desperately need to speak to you. Like I really need to speak to you, but here's three ways of how I'm not gonna speak to you. And then I'll speak to you. Who knows that's a bit weird. People don't do that. If God did that, there's gotta be a reason. Why did God show him the three ways he's not gonna speak before he actually showed him the way of how he was going to speak? I believe it was because Elijah had stopped being sustained by the Word and who God was. And he had started to try and be sustained by what he was doing for God rather than who God was. It's a trap that we can all fall into. See, when God first showed the fire, why did He show the fire? Because Elijah knew a little bit about the fire. Elijah was the guy that stood on Mount Carmel and saw fire fall from heaven. But God was communicating, Elijah, the fire is what I did through you, but it's not what will sustain you. Elijah, do you remember the brook? Do you remember the oil? Do you remember when you were hungry for my presence? He then brought the wind that literally shook the mountain. God said, but I'm not in it because again, Elijah knew a little bit about the wind, the breath of God, because he was the man of God that stood with a lifeless dead boy and he stood there stiff and hard, but he, he called wind from heaven that literally brought the boys open and brought him back to life. And again, God was saying, Elijah, the miracle was what I did through you, but Elijah, it's not what will sustain you. The only thing that will sustain you is my voice and my word and connecting with me. The same thing happened when the earth shook, the earthquake, because Elijah knew a little bit about shaking political systems, shaking weather patterns. And again, God was communicating, Elijah, that's what you do for me, but it's not what sustains you. Actually, what you do for me is the thing that takes from you. And the more that you do for me, the more you need to be sustained by who I am. And I believe Elijah had failed to see this. The second thing really quickly we'll do this one is he failed to see this old Pentecostal cliche, but there's great truth in it that new levels equals new devils. See, when Elijah killed the 450 Baal prophets, they represented 450 individual demons. You know the amazing thing? That once he killed the 450 individual demons, you know the next thing that happens in the story or pretty close after is the weather starts to change and it hadn't rained for a very long time, but it started to rain. And see what that is a picture is when you start to kill some individual struggles and demons in your life, it actually, the, 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 the atmosphere changes for people that didn't even fight the battle and it starts to rain on other people that didn't even fight for the rain. Let me give you an example. Maybe grandma struggled with fear and mum struggled with fear, but you're the one that says, you know what, on my watch, I'm gonna be the one that overcomes fear. I'm gonna go after this thing. I'm going to fight against this thing. I'm going to destroy this thing. And you know what happens when you beat it? The atmosphere starts to change for your children and their children and their children. And now they receive rain that they didn't even fight for. 
Let me tell you, if you trace my family history, it's full of drug addicts. But my wife and I have fought some battles so that there's two boys called Josiah and Caleb Connell that are not going in that direction and they're receiving the rain that they didn't even fight for. They're enjoying the atmosphere because we fought some personal battles. But Elijah failed to see this principle of new levels equals new devils. He had defeated the 450 individual demons, but now Jezebel was about to speak. See, so often we have this mentality that when we start to go after the things of God, we, we finally, no one in our family's ever bought a house, but we believe and we buy that house or, or, or we fight for our marriage or fight for our children or step in a ministry or go to new levels. And we sometimes have this mentality that when we start to go after that stuff, that the devil's gonna send flowers and a card. I'm so proud of you that you're really going after the things of God. You're finally starting to go after that addiction. I'm proud of you. You're stepping up and you're serving people. But that's not how it works. See, there is a war that takes place. And when you start to step up, new levels equals new devils. See, Elijah failed to see this, that he had reached this level of such incredible influence that now he was about to hear from a principality and a power. Let me just say as a, uh, 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 I forget the word, but just to pivot a little bit on this point is don't be that person that just focuses on everything the devil's doing. I'm not talking about that. You know, if you met those people that, you know, every time you meet them, they're telling you the 10 things the devil's doing in their life. Don't be that person. I'm not focused on this principle. I'm focused on the fact that he's already a defeated foe. I'm focused on the fact that Jesus has already won this battle. But I'm aware of this principle because when I'm aware of it, you know what it does for me? When I step into a new level, it makes me uh, lean more into point one. That when I start to, and we've had that, we're stepping into new things in our life. And let me tell you, hell has come against us. But the answer is when that starts to happen, that you know what? I need to be a little bit more sustained by the Word. I need to press in a little bit more. I need more of the oil. I need more of the breath. I need more of the brook. And then the last thing, just if the keyboarder could come. The last thing is this, is you've got to learn this thing of coming out of the cave and getting real with God. See, he ends up in a cave, which to me speaks of escapism. We all do it at times. See, to me what happens is pressure reveals cracks. But before the pressure came, I didn't even know there was cracks. But now that I'm in the pressure, I can't not, not see the cracks. And I'm a visual person, so it's a picture to me that when you go through pressure, there's these cracks that literally let out illuminated light beaming out. Now I just can't even not see what's wrong with me because of the pressure. You know, there's a great quote that a Navy SEAL spoke and he said this, that when pressure comes, you don't rise to the occasion, you sink to the level of your training. And what that really means is what pressure does is it actually shows you where you're really at. And it's an opportunity to deal with what I need to deal with so that I can go even further. He ends up in a cave which speaks of escapism because there were so many cracks that the pressure had revealed 
And it's, it's, it's our humanity that looks for escapism rather than face what we need to face. And, and there are many forms of escapism. It could be way too much Netflix. It, it could be some kind of hobby. It could be work. It, it could be some kind of relationship. It could be depression. It could be pornography. It could be alcohol. It could be food. And of course, we're mature enough to know that there are some forms of escapism that are way more destructive than others. But let's get real for a moment. A cave's a cave. A cave is a place that rather than dealing with what you need to deal with, you're escaping to, to not have to deal with it. It's another message, but eventually, if you feel trapped in a cave, it was the voice that got him out of the cave. It's always the voice of heaven that will bring you out of your struggle. It's the only method, it's the only way when you hear that voice, you come out of the cave. But he missed this moment to get real with God. And again, you can write it down if you take your notes. It's 1 Kings 19, 9 to 10, and then 13 to 14. But God asks him the same question twice. And maybe God's asking you this question today. He says to him, Elijah, why are you here? Why are you here? And Elijah, in my own words, he gives this answer that's very self-righteous. He says, well, I'm the only one that, that, that's still passionate, that's still fighting, and now they're trying to kill me. And then comes after the first time, the fire, the wind, the earthquake, the still small voice of God. He comes out of the cave and God says the same thing. Elijah, why are you here? There can only be one possible reason God ever asks you the same question twice. As humans, there's a few reasons why I'd ask the same question twice. One, I didn't didn't hear you, so I'll ask again. God doesn't have a problem with hearing. This one happens a lot in marriage. I didn't understand you because we're from different planets and speak different languages. And I'll ask the exact same question again. God doesn't have a problem with understanding. He knows your answer before you even give it. The only possible conclusion of why God would ever ask you the same question twice is because you gave the wrong answer. And He's a good, gracious God and He's giving you another chance to answer in the correct form. And I don't know what it was for Elijah. I don't have time to go into it. I feel like there was some rejection issues. If you look when he was under the tree, He talked about his family and never felt good enough. And I don't know what it was for him. But what I do know is is his moment to come out of the cave and get real with God. And maybe he needed to say something like, God, I've come from a family of failures and deep down, I always believed I'd fail. And and when Jezebel spoke those words, it, it rung true with what I believe in my core. Father, can you help me with what I believe? Can you help me with the pain of my upbringing? I don't know what it was for him. But what I know is he missed a moment to come out of the cave and get real with God. You know the New Testament Scripture that says that tribulation brings character and perseverance and then hope. If I be honest, most times tribulation doesn't bring character for me. It actually reveals lack of character. Like when that person does that terrible thing, the stuff that comes straight out, it's not, you don't call it character. But you know what it does? It reveals lack of character so that I can then start to work on, well, I didn't realise that was there. 
Therefore, then I deal with lack of character and in turn, tribulation does bring character, which brings perseverance, which also brings hope. And Elijah missed it. In verses 15 and 18, I've never seen this before. I'd never seen this before. But God eventually says, okay, fine, mate. He says, go, go, and, go and anoint the king. And, so I've lost the, the names of the kings, but go and anoint these two people and then anoint Elisha who will take over from you. And if you follow the story, so that's the will of God. Go and anoint these three people. That's the will of God. We'd all have to agree that. God, we heard it from His mouth to Elijah. Go do these three things. But if you follow the story, Elijah, he went straight to Elisha. And he anointed Elisha. And then the chariots came to take him up to heaven. Don't get me wrong, Elijah is still an incredible man of God. Appears in the New Testament. Did incredible miracles. Raised up Elisha. But he didn't fulfill 100% of the will of God. And actually Elisha, he went and anointed those two other people. One was Jehu, who took down Jezebel. So Elisha finished what Elijah was meant to do. But I believe there's a moment where eventually when we won't face the thing that God needs us to face, He still love you, but eventually He'll find someone else to do the thing that He's asked you to do. You know, I remember for me, it was last year, one of the hardest times of my life. Well, actually it was the year before now, 2019, we'd been living in America. For four years, we'd been trying to get a visa, a green card. Travelled for nine years as an itinerant. We moved to America five years ago. We were there for four years. And I never had grace for people that were immigrants in a new country. I remember where they'd do prayer requests and they need visas. I'm like, yeah, yeah, big deal. But when you live as an immigrant and you can't do all the things that everyone else can do, and you have this weight on you that at any moment they can say, no, 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 your house, your job, your whole thing, you, you can't stay here anymore. And, and so we, we spent more than 30,000 US dollars to try and get a green card. And we're getting close to that date, but it was about two months before we would get the answer to finally lodge after four years of trying. This guy comes to a church called Mike Connell. And as soon as I got around him, stuff started to stir on the inside. Stuff that I was almost embarrassed of. Insecurities, rejection. And I drove him for three weeks. He was the guest speaker at our church. And I drove him the whole time. And every time I get in the car, it just bubbled more and more and more and more. And I felt like that little kid that was rejected by his dad. And eventually we got to this moment where he does this meeting with about a hundred staff members and he's about to now unleash and pray. And before he even finishes the meeting, because this has been building up in me for two and a half weeks while I drive it. He's halfway through and I'm already weeping. I'm sitting in the crowd and, I'm, and tears are flowing. And eventually he calls the altar and I'm crying for about 20 minutes. And I'm not just talking crying, I'm talking like ugly crying. Like there's probably people that are still in counselling today just because they saw me crying. And after about 20 minutes, he walks up he comes and He says, spirit of abandonment and rejection come off Him. And the power of God hit me and I wept for another 20 minutes. And I'd love to say from that moment, everything got better. It actually got way worse. See, sometimes true deliverance is not done in a moment. 
but it reveals something that you were unable to see. And now you can see the thing that you were never able to see. And now there is the process of working on that thing that you can now see has been the problem to. Even in that moment in my younger years, I saw that there were caves that I found myself in. And I thought the cave was the problem, but it was the root of rejection that caused me to keep going to the cave. And then all of a sudden after he left, things got radically worse. We're on this journey of four years. And we're about to get our green card and the pressure is like, it'll eventually be off and we spent $30,000 and we got on this visa and this visa, but the finish line was a green card because then it would all be better. Then I could just have what everyone else is getting. Then we could be permanent and we get to the day that we're lodging the green card. And the lawyer finds something in my criminal history that I did when I was 19. I got caught with $50 worth of drugs. Not dealing, just use. And he says, because of this thing, you're what they call inadmissible. You can never, ever have a green card. Spent $30,000, four years. If it be honest with you, it sent me into depression. Saw a counsellor. Had a month where I could almost not even get out of bed. It whacked me for six. But I do my best, and I didn't always do it well, but I do my best to drag myself out of my room. And we lived in like a, you know, three-story kind of apartment with a garage down the bottom. And I drag myself down to the garage. And I just put worship on and I just lay there. And I do my best to try and just read and listen and be sustained by the Word. And I did that most days. And then after about a month, of probably one of the toughest seasons I've had in my life. I had this moment where I dragged myself to be sustained by the Word, the oil, the breath. And I remember I'm there on this couch and I'm just like, I'm done. But, but the presence of God filled that garage. And I remember He spoke to me and He said, Lucas, I had to allow it to seem. See, think about it. What was my issue? Rejection, abandonment. That's what the prophet called out in me. Now I wasn't being rejected by my dad. I was being rejected by a whole country. 350 million people saying, we don't want you. And as the Holy Spirit filled my room, He spoke so clear and He said, Lucas, I had to allow it to seem like you've been abandoned so that I could deal with the abandonment that's been in your heart your whole life. It was amazing. It was three months later, four months later, COVID happened. And within five days, God speaks and He says, put your whole stuff in storage and go to Australia. We thought it was temporary, but we got here and God's called us here. And that would be a tough season to go through, five days. Do you know what I mean? For you, you've been there for four years and you've got, I'm telling you, it was easy. And I don't mean that as a boast. But what I mean is, the cracks that He dealt with in that moment prepared me for the next season. I wanna pray for every person right now online, everyone here. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're just about done. But I just wanna pray. And even if you're at home right now and you know that there's a pressure test in your life, I'm just gonna pray for 30 seconds. But if you know that you're in a pressure test or maybe even when I spoke about rejection or abandonment, or if that's you and you say, Lucas, I'm in a bit of a pressure test at the moment. 
Even if you're at home, I just want you to lift your hands to heaven and I'm gonna pray. Father, in the Name of Jesus, I thank You for Your Holy Spirit. God, I thank You that You're not an angry God, but You're a loving Father. And God, I pray for every person that's here, that's online, with their hands raised, and I pray for the breath of God to come. God, I pray. God, there's people and I can feel it right now. They're aware of the cracks, whether the cracks in addiction or hopelessness or depression or some kind of mindset. I, God, they're aware of it. I pray for Your liquid love to come right now, that You would bring supernatural healing to every man, to every woman. God, I thank You for healing in the Name of Jesus right now. And I see it, I see liquid love. I see supernatural touch of heaven just coming upon every single person. God, that You're strengthening us right now, God. You're strengthening us for the next season. And I declare right now strength that comes from heaven. I see it right now. I feel God tell me to prophesy strength for the next season. Strength for the next season. Strength for what you're going through. Strength for what you're walking through. I feel the promise of heaven. He says, you will get through it. You will get to the other side. The miracle is coming. You will get breakthrough. So Father, I thank You so much for my brothers and sisters. And I just release the goodness of God over every single person. I release supernatural healing in the wonderful Name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Just with everyone right here now, with your eyes closed and head bowed, I wonder if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've heard this story and something on the inside says to you, what this guy's talking about, it's truth, it's real. I wanna tell you, Jesus radically changed my life 21 years ago. It was the first time I surrendered my life to Him and I don't have time to tell you how good He's been to me and it doesn't mean you give your life to Jesus and everything will be perfect. But let me tell you, it'll be the greatest decision you can ever make in your whole life. A decision where you say yes to a loving God, where you say yes to surrendering your life to Him. Let me tell you, He's a Father that loves you immensely, that only wants the best for your life. And right now, if you're here with every eye closed, just as we finish. Right now, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, or you have, but you know in your heart of hearts, you're just not right with God. And you know that today's the day that you need to either recommit or surrender your life for the first time. With every eye closed, every head bowed, I'm gonna simply count to three. And if you're in either of those two groups, and you say, Lucas, can you please include me in your prayer? I'm doing this for the first time. Or Lucas, I've just been away from God and I just need to get things right. If that's you, when I get to three, with every eye closed, you'll lift your hand, I'll see it. And I'll include you in my prayer. Every eye closed, every head bowed. One, friend, I tell you, He loves you more than you've ever dreamed or imagined. Two, it doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been or who you are, you're God's precious son or precious daughter. Three, all over this place. Come on, lift your hand to heaven right now. Yeah, just lift your hand. Yeah, I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand there as well. I see your hand there, sir. So proud of you. Yeah, I see your hand there. I see your hand there. The couple over there. So proud of you. See your hand there, sir. So proud of you. Yeah, at the back there as well. I'm going to include you over on the side. A couple people over here as well. So proud of each one of you. Just with every eye closed, every head bowed, I want to ask one last time. 
And the people that lifted your hand, I want you to do it nice and high because I don't, I don't want to miss one person that I'm about to pray for. So I want to see if that's you. Yeah, great couple over here. That's so awesome. Gentlemen down here. Uh, big guy in the middle there. Yeah, gentlemen here. Good on you, sir. Two ladies over there. Another person there. Another person there. Someone over at the back. So proud of each one of you. Well, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer and then I'm going to hand over the team. You can put your hand down. But I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And, and if you lifted your hand, I want you to mean these words with all your heart. And I'm simply just helping you to surrender your life to God and invite Him in your heart. But as a church family, because we value what you're doing so much, that what we're going to do is we're going to pray the prayer with you. We're not going to leave you there by yourself. But we're all going to pray the prayer together in big, loud voices. But if you are one of the ones that are doing this today for the first time or because you're recommitting, you, you just mean it with all your heart. Come on, let's all pray, church. Say, Dear Father, come on, let's all pray. Say, Dear Father, thank You for sending Jesus to die for my sins. I'm sorry for everything that I've done wrong. And I thank You that You forgive me, that You love me, that You believe in me. Today, I surrender my life to You. I give You my life. I invite You into my heart. Help me to live for You. In Jesus' Name, Amen.